Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey there, this is the Spoken Edition of Wired. For many, it's the start of a new semester of physics labs. That means there are new students in that introductory course. Of course, no one is really 100% ready to start these labs, but that's okay. Here are three big ideas that I find students need to work on to be successful in lab. First is converting units. Now, this is a pretty easy problem to fix, but I think I should go over it. How do you convert units? Let's say some students find the mass of an object as 123 grams, but to get the weight in newtons, they need this mass in kilograms. Here's what some students might say. Okay, we need to convert this mass from grams grams to kilograms. I know we have to do something with a thousand, but I can't remember if we divide or multiply by a thousand. Oh, wait, I got it. A kilogram is bigger than a gram, so we need to multiply by a thousand to get kilograms. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Maybe it's divide? Well, this is the process many students use to convert values, but there's an easier one. In short, you just multiply by one. Now, let me just start with the above example converting a mass in grams to kilograms. Suppose I have 123 grams and I multiply by the fraction 4 over 4. Yes, 4 over 4 is the same as the number 1. If you multiply a number by 1, you get the same thing. So in this case, you just end up with 123 grams. Boring. Anytime you multiply by 1, you don't change that value. Also, 4 over 4 is the same as 1 because you're dividing a number by the same thing. So what if I replace the denominator with 2 times 2? Well, again, nothing happens because 2 times 2 is still 4. But there's another fraction that's equivalent to 1, and it's this. 1 kilo over 1,000 grams. 1,000 grams and 1 kilogram are the same thing, so this fraction is equal to 1. Now, I can multiply my original mass by this fraction. 123 grams times 1 kilo over 1,000 grams. And now for the magic. I can treat the unit of grams just like a variable. Grams divided by grams is 1. So the units cancel and I'm left with the unit of kilograms 0.123 kilos. And boom, that's it. Unit converted. In short, all you have to do is multiply by 1. Choose a fraction such that the numerator and denominator are equivalent, even if different units, and arrange it so the unit you want to convert cancels. It's that simple. Okay, let me include a problem that pops up quite often. Suppose I have a volume of 3,213 centimeters cubed 
and I want to convert this to cubic meters. How would I do it? Remember, there are 100 centimeters in one meter. 3,213 centimeters cubed times one meter over 100 centimeters cubed. What you end up with is 0.003212 meters cubed. If I just multiply by the fraction by one meter over 100 centimeters, the centimeters cubed wouldn't actually cancel. I need centimeters cubed in the denominator. And the only way to do this is to cube the fraction. But that's what I get. Oh, and one last thing. You might be in introductory physics and you might be a carpenter. However, it's not cool to use imperial units. It's just going to cause problems. Stick to metric units. Trust me on this one. Trust me. Next up, graphing. Converting units isn't a super big problem, but that's not true for graphs. Just about every introductory lab needs to make a graph. Why? Here's the short answer. With a graph, you can show a functional relationship between two quantities. If that relationship is linear, then you can find the slope of the best fit line. And this slope probably means something. So make a graph and then have something to talk about. Suppose I take a meter stick and a spring. I'll hang the spring from some vertical mount and then hang some masses from it. I then record both the mass and the position at the bottom end of the spring. So you end up with a data chart where you have a list of mass in grams from 0 to 50 on one side and position in centimetres going from, say, 48 to 57 centimetres in the other column. So what is the relationship between position and mass? Students are often tempted to just find the ratio of mass and length, but that doesn't work in this case because I made the data so it would fail. The first step is really to plot the data on actual tree-based graph paper. I encourage students to use paper instead of a computer-based plotting tool so it's clear they understand what's actually going on. If you use a program to make a graph, sometimes the program will fix things for you such that you don't make mistakes. And mistakes are good if you're trying to learn. Now, when you're plotting the data points on a piece of paper, add a best fit line. On plain graph paper, you can add this line by just using a straight edge to approximate a line that comes the closest to all the points. The best fit line doesn't even have to hit any of the points. It's absolutely not just connecting the dots. Once I have a best fit line, I can then find the slope. I'll circle two points on the best fit line and use them to find the slope. Remember, use points on the line that you created, not the points you plotted. Also, the further away the points are from each other, the best it will be. And now, find the slope. It looks something like this. Slope equals delta M over delta Y, which equals 667.5 grams minus 2.5 grams over 61 centimetres minus 48 centimetres which equals 65 grams over 13 centimetres, which equals, boom, 5 grams a centimetre. Now, let me make some important comments on this calculation, as well as some errors that, errors that students usually make. The slope means something. In this case, it's just the ratio of mass to stretch. But you could also relate this to the force per metre stretch, the spring constant. The slope has units, usually. If the vertical axis has units and the horizontal axis has units, then the slope would have units. The one case that's a little different is if you plot distance versus distance, both in meters, then the slope would be unitless. Also, graphs can obviously be more than just x versus y. I hate to say this, but it's important. I find that some students make x-y graphs in their math classes and never realize that it doesn't actually have to be x and y. Yes, I know that the math class goes over this idea, but the students don't always get it. 
Also, notice the axis doesn't have to start at the value of zero. You can start at whatever number you like. And finally, the slope of a line is not the average value of mass divided by position in this case. In this case, there is a non-zero y-intercept, so you can just divide the two numbers. The slope tells you how the two numbers change, not the ratios of their values. OK, that's enough to get you started. Finally, let's talk about seeing beyond the instructions. Now, this last tip is difficult because it really depends on the instructor's ideas for the lab. So, in this case, I'm giving student advice for the way I run lab classes. Here are some things students say that make me worry. How many data points do you want me to take? What else do you want me to do in lab? Do you want me to make a graph for this data? I think you get the idea. Many students treat the lab as something that they, the students, need to do for me, the instructor. But I don't want minions that do lab work. I want scientists that build experiments. The lab isn't about following instructions. It's about building a model. Yes, it's true, I do give some instructions before lab, but that is just to get students started. What I really want is for students to play around with stuff, build a model, and then find some way to use that model in an interesting way. That's the way science works, and that is how I want my lab to work. This article posted by Rhett Aline for Wired. Hey, this is Andrew from the Spoken Edition team. I wanted to let you know that we just launched a new website at SpokenEdition.com. This new site has over 40 different shows from top publications around the web, all for free. So visit SpokenEdition.com, subscribe to a few new shows, and keep listening. Thanks. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.